So hello, welcome back to Being Black with Camille Smith. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Taylor Roberts Sampson. She is a Columbia graduate and now she's pursuing her JD at University of California, the LA campus. With her actual law degree, she hopes to advocate for her personal communities and diversify the law field. I'm super excited to talk to Taylor specifically because A, we went to high school together, Rock North, I'm not gonna rep it because it was located. Um, and two, I'm really excited to have the conversation because I'm going to be learning a lot today. So we're going to jump into it. Taylor, what does being Black mean to you? I would say being Black to me means community um, and access to a really unique culture and history that a lot of other people don't have access to and sort of knowing that there's always been this line of strength behind me and my decisions from the past and from what my ancestors have done before. And I think it's, I feel really lucky to be able to be a part of that community and a part of that history and culture. Um, I would say it also definitely means a lot of struggle and like never really moving through the world without thinking about being black, which is something that I think other people who are not black have the privilege of being able to do. And then two, do you have like a concrete memory of when you kind of first figured out that you were black or like what being black kind of meant to other people? Definitely. I, I definitely have always been a lot in white spaces and uh, my immediate family is all white, which has been a really interesting experience in my life. Um, and I think sort of people assuming that I was adopted or assuming that my mom wasn't my mom because I'm mixed um, was definitely sort of when I started to realize that maybe something was different about me because I didn't really understand why people wouldn't know that my mom was my mom. Um, but it's because she's white and I'm not. And so I think that sort of distinction happened. And then also I remember in kindergarten and first grade being told I wasn't allowed to play with certain kids or being told that parents, parents wouldn't want to have me over their house because they thought that I was a bad influence for their kids and talking to my mom about it. And my mom sort of just bluntly told me why and that it was wrong. And so that I think probably by the age of like six or seven, I definitely knew. So in that vein, like how was growing up in your area? We both lived in the same area growing up, but how was that for you? I was definitely horrific. Um, I would say, I think there were definitely good people and I was able to find friends, which I feel really lucky for and I'm still in touch with a lot of them. Um, but I would say overall, it felt really horrible. Um, teachers were horrific to me. They thought that I was illiterate um, and put me in special reading classes, even though I'm not at all illiterate. Um, and let's see what else. I was told I was never gonna get into college, that I shouldn't apply to the schools that I applied to from teachers in high school. Um, I think another thing was just feeling really undesirable. Like it felt like I was never going to be able to date someone or that no one would ever like me because no one ever talked about like black people being beautiful. There were no black people to see that like we're dating other people. And I think the, the standard beauty was just straight hair um, skinny and white and so I wasn't that and I sort of knew that and and it definitely hurt my self-esteem and it hurt my self-worth a lot I'd say. So then moving through college so like growing up did it change at all I was undergrad at Columbia or even now at UCLA? Going to New York was a game changer I mean I definitely always knew that I wanted to leave Newtown like ever since I've lived here because um, I actually I was born somewhere else and then we moved here and, and the move here was horrible. Um, so 
yeah, I would say going to Columbia and also just being in New York was amazing. Like it was the first time that people actually didn't make note of my race as the first thing about me. Um, and like, if you've ever been to New York, you know that most people are actually not white. Um, so I felt like I fit in really well. Uh, and uh, Columbia is an incredibly diverse school and there were lots of clubs for black people and for black queer people and for black Jewish people. And I just felt like that was the first time in my life that I ever had access to those communities, which was really important to me. Um, and yeah, I would say I'm never going back, but I'm actually in Newtown now. <laughs> The, the, the goal is to never come back. We're, we're taking those steps now, you know? So right, yes. Back now, but like in the future, we're not coming back. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and then do you have any advice for your younger self? I would say just stick it out. It will get better. Um, don't listen to the people around you because they're wrong. And the whole world isn't like the place that you're in right now. I could not agree more. Um, so thank you for answering those questions. Again, I'm super excited to talk to you and I'm really excited for this actual conversation. Um, so Taylor kind of alluded to it before, but we're actually gonna be talking about being black and queer. Um, and the only disclaimer that I have for people that are watching is Taylor is just one voice in this very diverse community. So please do not tokenize her responses and apply them to everyone else because honestly, that would be more dangerous than simply just watching the video, the video excuse me. Um, and again, I really appreciate you talking to me about this. This is an area that I really want to learn about too. So we're going to just jump into a first question. Um, and do you think that you have any specific unique experiences that your queerness was affected by being Black or vice versa? Definitely. Yeah. So I would say um, a couple things. One is that anytime I'm part of a space that's designated as either Black or queer, I never fear feel fully um, included for the most part. There are times when I do, but overall, there are usually things that stick out. So for example, in the queer community, a lot of those things I was saying about beauty standards still apply. Mm -hmm. Like I remember when I realized that I was queer and I sort of started watching movies and like joining the culture and watching YouTube and I realized that no one there was black. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really concerning to me. And there was no representation in the media. There were no out celebrities who were black and queer. Um, mm -hmm. And so I sort of, although I was watching Raven Simone, but she was not out then, so it doesn't count. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I would say like that was still really hard. And I sort of still felt like I, like uh, maybe I wasn't queer or I didn't belong in that community solely because I was black. Um, mm -hmm. And I would say on the other side, being parts of a lot of black communities, there's a lot of homophobia that goes around. Mm -hmm. um, and I've often felt it hard to fully join those communities or I felt really isolated from those communities um, because I was dating women and not men. And it felt like I wasn't fully black or wasn't black enough. Um, mm -hmm. And that also compounds with the fact that I mixed and like was raised by a white family in a really white area. So mm -hmm. I would say on both sides, it can be really difficult to feel fully included. Um, and it feels like there's a lack of representation in each community. Yeah, and I, I think that's a very, it's unfortunately, but it's a very common narrative about people that have this intersectionality that have two different identities that they very much heavily identify with. So simply just being a black woman, I've found navigating throughout like my life and uh, especially like my studies, like in STEM, you were either black or you were a woman. 
because black people, there's not a lot of representation within that field in general, but then also women just really aren't, still aren't in engineering. So it's really, I think, frustrating to have to navigate those two worlds, constantly having to think about it, which is just unfortunate because you're trying to figure it out yourself. So like you already have kind of like that internal, okay, like feel about certain things, but then also externally, like people are trying to tell you whether you're black enough or um, if you should be in certain spaces. So again, I think that's a, it's just really unfortunate for people that have varying identities that again, have to deal with it themselves, but then also have to deal with other people trying to almost gatekeep certain things, if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. It feels like a lot of times people can only conceptualize one difference per person. So if, and because I'm black, like that's the first thing you can see. So that's what gets taken into account. And then mm-hmm. the fact that I'm a woman or the fact that I'm queer, or I'm also Jewish, like all of those mm-hmm. things never get taken into account because it's like, it makes things too complicated and people don't like it when things mm-hmm. get complicated. So yeah, that's a really interesting intersection. Do you want to talk at all about being a black queer Jewish person and how that's kind of affected your life? Um, I would say a lot well one thing that's really cool is that a lot of the values of community and giving back to community Mm -hmm. and history and ancestry like definitely cross over into being Jewish and I think like to me that's really important and like when I think about my ancestors my black ancestors I also think about my Jewish ancestors and Mm -hmm. you know their struggles and coming to America um Mm -hmm. so I would say it's just it's just another it's just another community and culture that I have in my life which I feel really lucky to have. Yeah, no, that's very cool. I distinctly remember we were texting about it and you're like, yeah, like, isn't that a fun trio? And I was like, yeah, I mean, yes, like that's super unique. Um, But to segue a little bit, so I feel like recently, over the past few months specifically, but I mean, it should have been a priority forever. um, People are actively trying to be allies. Um, And... Honestly, when I first learned, because I learned about it in a class, um, and that's something else too. I feel like in college, it gave me a lot of rhetoric that I, like I felt certain things before, but it actually gave me like vocabulary to express them. Absolutely. So like, what are your thoughts on like this new concept of allyship and kind of like, in in my opinion, it's kind of like turned into like a buzzword. Um, So like, what are your thoughts on it? Definitely. So I'd say the first time I heard of allyship was in high school um, because mm-hmm. I started the, the, they called it the GSA, the Gay Straight Alliance, which I disagreed with. You me. started it? Well, I didn't start it, start it. I can't take okay. full credit. There were some predecessors, but I definitely got it to be like, more than five members and yeah. put up signs and got it to be a real thing. Um, and it was when I, when I joined, it was in its like first or second year. So, um, and then I took it over in my junior Mm -hmm. and senior year, but I would say like from that, I learned what allyship was supposed to be, Mm -hmm. um, which was at the time, just like filling more bodies in the room. So people felt less terrible about going themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I would say about it is I think that it comes from a good place that people Mm -hmm. want to be, people are seeing that other people are struggling and they want to be involved. Um, but I think a lot of times it's actually unhelpful or counterproductive. Mm-hmm. So I would say like the Instagram um, blackout day would be a really great example of why um, allies need to actually have people in their lives that are part of the communities they're trying to help because that ended up being people just clogging the news feed on days when people were using uh, Instagram and Twitter for news and updates mm-hmm. on protests and they couldn't mm-hmm. communicate with each other. 
Um, so I would say like that would be an example of when allyship can go wrong. And I would also say like a lot of people do allyship for their own status and to seem like they're um, checking the box. Like, yes, I'm a good person and I can move on. And in that case, I would urge people not to do it because I think mm -hmm. that that sort of, it, it doesn't really help anyone anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would say is if people really do want to be allies, that's great. And what you should do is find people in the communities that you're trying to help and ask them what they actually need. Yeah, it's interesting you say that too, because I had that conversation maybe a month or so ago. And it was, especially when it came to Breonna Taylor. Um, and I think kind of like what you said, like it comes from a good place, or I, at least I want to believe it comes from a good place most of the time. But it's like how you do it and the actual impact of it that like it can become again counterproductive and like not helpful and I just feel like with Breonna Taylor specifically people were it's so weird that this could be a word but like memifying her yes I agree I yes. and like like it, it, the the sorrow and grief that hearing her story or seeing her name should have elicited just wasn't there anymore. Um, even though personally, like, I was like very, very deeply affected and even like thinking about her now, like makes me very, very upset. But I feel like on a grand scale, like people just desensitize us, like all of us at the same time. I don't, it was, it was such a weird phenomenon. I feel like, and I, I was very vocal about it on my Instagram, but I do think that people that actively want to be allies to any given community do need to just ask and be like, hey, what can I do? And also acknowledge that sometimes we don't want to answer because we're trying to deal with other stuff. So acknowledge that boundary too. Right, absolutely. People do not acknowledge that boundary. Like even during, again, so much happened over the past few months and this entire year. And I distinctly remember people always like texting me, even from high school, People that I hadn't really talked to were like, hey, like Camille, like, I just want to let you know, like being your friend in high school was like so right. nice. And I'm like, okay. I, I was like, what that tells me is that I'm the only black person that you know still. And that makes me upset. <laughs> but like, I was like, okay. And then again, they follow up with an action item for us. Like, oh, is there anything I can read? Is there anything that I'm mm -hmm. doing? And again, there's, there's that line. I appreciate that they're asking, you know, I appreciate that they're trying to put in some effort but is it for you checking that box or is it you actively want to help and I think right. that I personally struggle with still that I, I can't really decipher and I think it's unfair that we as black people and just the black community in general have to feel as though we have to decipher whether someone's being genuine about something or not definitely I think and I think that even extends into the black queer community like there's been a lot of I've seen like a lot of floating around of posts of like, we need to help our black, queer, trans mm -hmm. femme, brothers and sisters. And I'm mm -hmm. like, that's great. But like, you're just tacking words on. And I feel like people don't understand that these are actual people that are mm -hmm. living these lives. And it also feels like on a level, people are just discovering all of this, which is in some ways I understand, like, especially growing up in Newtown, we never talked about these things in school. Mm -hmm. So how would we expect these people to know them? Um, but then on the other hand, it's like frustrating to feel like this is something you're just learning about versus like this is in my entire life. Yeah. And like, it's hard to have the patience to want to engage with that always. That's what it is. It's the patience too. And I feel like I, my patience have, has worn thin um, 
because my thing is it'd be different if this was happening really in any other time period but like we do have the internet and like during Absolutely. The, on the internet is not true so if you felt that way as a viewer that's not the case <laughs> like we have google like we can just google things um like even with like a lot of the police brutality death like you can you can just google them and like read the police reports or at least read like what they put out on it and I feel like people just aren't even people aren't even taking that step so then for them to be coming to me or you or any other person of color specifically a black person and are like oh like give me the entire like spark notes synopsis of what's happening tell me what I'm supposed to be doing what should I be posting on my social media channels like, oh, I'm so nervous to talk to like my racist parents about it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't need to know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm grieving right now. And you're yes. trying to figure out how to talk to your mom, dad, uncle. And don't get me wrong. I'm sure it's stressful. Like, I'm sure like that's a scary thing to talk about because I've had to talk to like older people about certain things that made me uncomfortable. And like, it can, it can feel bad. But like we're talking about like human rights, like there should be like you should feel okay being a little uncomfortable, you know, talking to other people. At least in my opinion. But again, we've had to deal with it, so it's like, right, uncomfortable for like that thirty minutes. I've been right, well, like my whole life. Yes, yes, and I think sort of that's what that's sort of what allyship needs to look like more is taking on more of the uncomfortable instead of mm-hmm. um, informing us of the uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Or being like, oh, yeah, like, like, literally people would just text me and be like, oh, like, I read this book. I'm like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Again. Yes. That's awesome. Then it's like, do you want me to patch from the back? Like, what did you learn in the book? Right. Did you learn anything? (laughs) Or allyship just, in my opinion, needs to pivot to, you don't need to tell me everything that you're doing. You just need to actively be putting an effort to just be a better in my opinion, it's just being a better person. Mm-hmm. But again, as a Black person, I just feel like maybe to me that makes sense, but I feel like to a lot of other people, like, that doesn't... Right. They need more structure in it, I think. But but, but I, what, what I will say is I think the reason why everyone is, like, coming with, like, their projects and, like, mm-hmm. informing us, because mm-hmm. I get those texts, too. I, I, I wonder if it's, like, so that we know that they're mm-hmm. trying but what I would say to that is we can tell, like I can tell which people I talk to have some sort of understanding of what it's like in the world or like understanding of differences or compassion or empathy. Like I can tell from just having a conversation with someone. Mm-hmm. And so I don't need to know that you've read Just Mercy to know that you are trying. Like read it, yeah. please do, yeah, but please. I don't need to know. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree. And I think something that I personally have been doing specifically to try and be a better ally and really just learn because I think growing up my this is going to sound weird but like my parents were very much treat people how you want to be treated if someone isn't like being mean to you then like like don't be mean to them so like growing up it was people are always going to be different from you and like that's a positive thing so even in high school, when I had queer friends, like that was not for them when they would come out to me, like that was like a very pivotal moment in their life. But for me, it was like, I'm not going to treat you any differently. Like you just really told me an extra piece of information about you. But I think the downside of that is because is 
or the downside of my outlook on it initially was that I really didn't understand the gravity of someone telling me this type of information about themselves. So even things like pronouns, like I literally saw when you logged on, you have your pronouns. Oh yeah. I had to look them up because I was like, okay, like it's not, I want all people to feel comfortable in their space. Cool. But if I genuinely want to be an ally to other people, I need to A, learn about their struggles the best that I can, talk to people within that community and do something to actively try and make them comfortable. So I like looked up what pronouns were, um, why they were important. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like I can just put my pronouns in my bio. So like we can normalize like talking about our pronouns before we start speaking about things. And that mm-hmm. small thing that like, even now I forget that my pronouns are in my bio, but like to someone else, it might make them feel more comfortable if that makes sense. So like trying to like wanting everyone to be equal is not enough. <laughs> like, right. That's the foundation. Like you need to take more steps even if you're within a community or intersectional community or not, you just need to be able to take those steps with other people. So like, do you have like any concrete advice that you wanna give to people that are actively trying to be allies? Definitely. I'd say one thing is for all of the listeners, no matter who you are, there's definitely a group you can be an ally to. Mm -hmm. So one big mistake is thinking, oh, I'm diverse too. So I don't need to think about this. So Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you black folks too. I think that that one thing is, yes, we go through a lot, but a lot of people also go through a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, one really crazy thing about America is they find a way to make it hard for almost every kind of person. So I would say do your research and look into it, because I'm sure that there are communities that you could be helping out that you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, the queer community is one that often goes a little under the radar. And I'd say that's because it's not based on outward appearance. It's much more based on inward identity, which is still mm-hmm. incredibly important. Um, another thing I'd say in terms of being an ally for the queer community in general is pronouns are huge, like you said. Um, it's really, if you don't know someone's pronouns, I can almost guarantee that they would not be offended by asking. I mean, can't personally stamp that, but like, it's a big deal to ask them what their pronouns are. And I think that most people appreciate it and find it actually validating to think, oh, you genuinely want to call me by the right pronouns. That's great. Like, I would love to tell you what they are. Um, Not everyone has it figured out though. So don't expect that everyone will be able to give you an answer right away. But Mm -hmm. even just showing an interest is important, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, And what else would I say? I would say in general, one thing about allyship is you have to actually be in contact with the communities. I would say, don't, don't bother unless you genuinely are going to put the effort in to find the people. If you don't know the people, that's okay. Um, But I would say reach out to them and find them and find more than one. Keeping mm-hmm. just one black friend, just one black queer friend, just one Jewish friend, it's not gonna work um, and it's not helpful. And it's mm-hmm. actually just ends up being a lot of work on that person's part. So I would say find the communities. Um, if you're in school, there's usually a club for the communities which makes it super easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you can re- look up local community centers. Um, but yeah, I would say actually find the communities and then ask them what they need. I think they would be genuinely shocked, but also happy to, to have the help. There's usually events going on that we need help with. There's usually outreach or things that we're trying to do as community members. And I, I think that there are definitely ways that people can help and be supportive. Um, but yeah, just find the actual communities and talk to the actual people and make sure that you're letting them take the lead on this and not doing it to put your name on it and not you're not the one taking the lead on everything. 
Yes, that is a beautiful sidebar because I feel like a lot of times when, like at least throughout undergrad, like we would go to these BSU or Black Student Union club meetings, or we would go to like these different like lasso club meetings. And a lot of times the people that weren't actually in the community would be trying to like speak over the people that were in the community. And that's not allyship. So if you like, if you're, if you thought that's, that that's what it was, it's not. Um, allyship is actively trying to amplify people within that community's voices and like being there and standing behind them and being like, yeah, like this is what we want, like actively and like using your privilege, whatever privilege that comes in to actively try and amplify their voices. It's not you trying to speak over them because again, then that's just you talking again. <laughs> Absolutely. That, please. Yes, and think about why you're doing it. I think that before you do any of the steps that I said, you should really sit down and think to yourself and do some reflection. Why are you doing this? And if mm -hmm. your answer is because you think it's, that's what you're supposed to do, then I would say find a different answer, mm -hmm. find a better answer because there are better answers and you wanna go in there with more of a purpose and a passion and a reason mm -hmm. um, than just doing it to check off your box to say you're a good person. Yeah, and do you have any advice for other black queer people or black queer Jewish people? I'd say stick it out, it's gonna be all right. Um, <laughs> find your people that is my key if you want to you can reach out to me I can find a way to give you my Instagram or something but definitely find your people I found my people in college it was a huge game changer I didn't even know that black queer people existed like actually as a thing until college um so I would say find the people um reach out to the communities and you know the communities have all been great the ones that I've been a part of and I think it's a it's it's a really hard identity to have, but it's also a really special identity to have. And there's a lot of really great things about it. Um, and so I would say, yeah, find the communities and then they will help you. Awesome. And then lastly, do you have anything else that you want the viewers to know? Um, hmm, I don't think so. Well, okay, my Instagram. Can I give them my Instagram? Is that yes, allowed? please. And I'll also put it in the um, description box below too. Okay, it'll be in the description box. Sometimes I do like little special things on my Instagram also, um, like stories about being biracial or um, I might do something on black and law intersections mm -hmm. soon. So you can look out for that also. Cool. Okay, so thank you so much. I'm, I'm like beaming. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think this is super important because, again, I think storytelling is so incredibly important. And that's really how you can elicit empathy from other people because you, you actually see not only hear their words, but see their body language and see how it's affecting them. And again, I've learned so much throughout this conversation. Thank you. Thank of course. you. Thank you for having me. And if you're watching this, please go follow Taylor because she's the bomb. So that's all. That's all. <laughs> but thank you for tuning in to this Being Black with Camille Smith. I'm going to drop another video in two weeks on Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I'll see you next time. Bye.